0: Howdy folks, today we're talking filmmaking, film photography, and overall creativity for the modern age photographer, right after this.
1: Welcome to Camera Shake, where we bring you the insider scoop on all things photography and videography, giving you a unique opportunity to stay ahead of the curve.
0: we spent literally hundreds of hours interviewing some of the most renowned photographers of our time, giving you access to knowledge and expertise that's not available anywhere else. As always, I'm your host, Kirsten Lutz. And if you like me and you enjoy free podcasts and YouTube content, then you can become a supporter of the show by buying us a coffee over on buymeacoffee.com forward slash camera shake to help us create more exciting episodes for you. But of course, you're more than welcome to say no, no hard feelings. Just know that your support really does make a difference. Now, without further ado, let's give it up for today's special guest live in the studio with me today. Give it up for the voice of the world's longest running radio drama, The Archers, filmmaker, actor and director,
1: Toby Lawrence. Toby, man, how's it going? Very well. Thank you. Um, you know, blushing from that introduction. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, not the voice of The Archers, I'd like to point out, a voice in The Archers Um yeah, a voice of many, many, many. Uh, How many? So I've just mentioned it. It's the longest-running radio drama in the world. It is. Yeah. By episode, we had our twenty-thousandth episode um, earlier this. Well, last year, I suppose it's 2074 now. God, keep up, Toby. This
0: is episode one hundred and
1: eighty-nine, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so a, a little 20, way to 000. go. A little way to go. I thought I'm doing well. But- yeah, <laughs> you're doing great. You're doing great. Uh, yeah. So it's, it started in nineteen fifty-one. So um you know got a bit of a head start on you to be fair yeah to you you know um but yeah i mean there are people in it i've been in it for 7 years and there are people in it who have been in it for 40 50 60 yeah. plus years yeah um June Spencer lovely June who retired very recently she retired at the age of 103 having been in the arches since day 1 um so which was intimidating at you know mm. to start with because you suddenly find yourself in a room with people who just you know just do it in their sleep um but once you get over that it's just it was incredibly inspiring and and getting to work with people with with that much experience in what they do and it's been going on for such a
0: long time that here in the uk um really whenever there's a cast member that passes away in real life it's a real thing i was mean, in yeah. the bbc news and everything
1: yeah it really is Yeah, I mean, it's an institution. It's, I mean, generationally, I think anyone of my parents' generation um, and older and slightly younger as well, I'd say, grew up with it. You Mm. know, Before the modern era of content everywhere, the radio played a far greater sort of role in in everyone's life. And and it's on six days a week. And then on Sunday, they do like all the episodes of the week. They're like 12, 13 minute long. So they're little snippets so um but yeah so so these days most people i tell i'm in the arches because i can kind of go under the radar just as a voice you see you know but if i tell them like oh my nan loves that <laughs> yeah <laughs> or, or, or something along those lines but uh, it's always very flattering and um and it's 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 a lovely thing to be a part of yeah. i love it
0: it's also a huge responsibility
1: if you're if you're part of a show that has that kind of history yeah it really is you know and 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 it being a sort of a soap that rolls on, it, um, it mirrors what's going on in the world, you know. And so especially with like, you know, COVID and all those sorts of things. But, but any major events that are happening around the world, there are always the meetings with the production team, which, which, you know, as actors, we don't get that much involvement with. But depending on how fast things are moving, we can get involved a little bit when they talk to us about it. how do you deal with these subjects? You know, when, the, when, when COVID, for instance, first started to emerge, <clears throat> excuse me um the original idea was that we wouldn't mention it right that we <laughs> would give people this kind of like idyll this little kind of like sanctuary away from it yeah and then obviously after not that long it became apparent that we're gonna have to acknowledge yeah. the uh elephant in the village as y- as it were it's it's set in a village um <clears throat> yeah it's yeah a huge
0: I mean, that's, that's an interesting thing, because I'm guessing you're pre-producing those episodes some time in advance. So if something happens, like, let's say, 9-11 or something, yeah, then
1: how do you build that in? So it's about three weeks. We're about three three weeks, three, four weeks ahead okay. of our outfit. Probably just about. 50, right? Just about, yeah. But they they do do last minute rewrites. Like, for instance, right. when the Queen passed away, right? you know, suddenly that needed to be, you know, put into an episode here, there, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um but the 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 production team are amazing you know the 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 whole kind again it transcends us all you know they always say that so there's an editor who essentially um their job is to oversee the general sort of like long-term path that it takes Mm -hmm. um and and it's very much you know when you hear them talk about it a responsibility that they take on sorry um your coffee that's getting getting in my throat. Say coffee. <laughs> say coffee. It's only the best, uh, but yeah, they talk about the you know they they are given something that they are custodian of. Yes, but it is bigger than them as well. And and but they do they they work amazing. Wonder they have a whole team of writers and all sorts of people who can react quickly to these things and move it in and then uh, and again you know the, the actors and the performances are so good and so versatile that that people can react and adapt quickly yeah, to what yeah. they need to do. What's the reaction
0: of those like really established actors that have maybe been doing it for decades when you first join a cast like
1: that? Well, they're all lovely, you know. So it's an interesting world acting in that generally you don't really have a great deal, and it's a, it's, it's a similar thing with filmmaking um, and photography. You don't have workmates in the same way, you know. And, and acting is very project by project. So you'll have, a, you know, if you're in a play or something, you'll have your castmates and then when that job's over you kind of back into being alone until you get the next sort of thing whereas when you have something like the archers which rolls on for years and years and years and very much becomes part of your life it's a family and we all love seeing each other and catching up with each other because we all have to go to birmingham to record it and Mm -hmm. you know we record a month's worth in like two sort of weekish long blocks and it's just so everyone's very welcoming, you know, and, and supportive of new people because everyone remembers when they were there. And so I think the effort is always to welcome and nurture and, and, and be as sort of supportive and lovely as you possibly can. And, and I guess some
0: some uh, cast members are there more often like a central cast and then you have
1: people Ye- dropping in and out of it. Yes, I, I think that's less. I mean, it definitely is true but it's, it's kind of becoming less the case compared to how it used to be. The cast is much bigger now. Mm. So there used to be sort of, I mean, as I, I'm, don't quote me on this because it was before my time, but there used to be sort of maybe 20-odd characters. Right. So everyone was in a lot more. Um, and obviously there are those characters who have been in it for 40 years and therefore they, they have a sort of stronger foothold on the sort of narrative generally in the village, you know, the family, <laughs> um, that they interplay with each other. But um, they are, have been recently over the last few years sort of trying to introduce new characters and and, and broaden the sort of diversity as well, I think. Uh, you know, the representation and trying to... Because very, they're very keen to kind of bring the story along with the times and keep it relevant and keep it all these sorts of things. So um, often when a, a new character is introduced, they'll have a fair bit to do because, you know, again, these characters have been in for 40 years. People know everything about them. They know their first crushed and then that fell apart and then they had a job and then this happened and that happened and you have this kind of history yeah. that gives your character some sort of weight whereas when you first turn up in the village or you disappear they're quick to establish some sort of depth to your story and then once you're settled in um generally speaking the kind of you know spotlight will kind of move somewhere else and and there are there are different um families and different kind of like dynamics in the village so you know if there is a bereavement either in the show or in real life and then obviously subsequently in the show if that's within a a family that your character doesn't really interact with they're not you know related and it's then the storyline is more likely to sort of shift towards them for a little while and whilst they deal with that and then you know you'll get a storyline crop up another time and and then you and those around you will have a little bit more of a spotlight on you and um one of the, the most the things that always is very hard to get used to, even now, is how slowly things develop in the program. It's it, you know you can see oh I can see something's going to happen here, and you think next next round of scripts it'll come in. <laughs> yeah, you won't hear about it for two years because in real life that's how things happen. You know, someone. Uh... You, your character might say something that kind of oh, hints that he's he's not happy about that or, or he's a bit miserable or, or, or something is niggling him. And you think, oh, this is going to be a storyline. And it may well be. But in real life, you don't kind of think, oh, I'm not that happy about my job. And then immediately, like, have a breakdown and quit. Mm. That breakdown will slowly drip feed into the narrative over the next two, three years. It's so gentle and, and in no rush because it's been going for 70 yeah. years.
0: And I'm just thinking that for a production point, it's going to be so difficult to keep track of these yeah. very gradual character developments over such a long time. Yeah. And you could track, like like you said, 20, 30, 40
1: characters. A oh, 100%. I mean, they have essentially, like, people whose role is is, is almost archivist, yeah. you know, because they'll go, is, is, is David Archer left-handed or right-handed? No. And they won't know, you know, and it might be relevant for a story and they'll have someone who, who, whose job it is to know that. Right. to go back you know when every, I'm, I every again it's sort of beyond my pay grade and behind a door that I don't see much of um, on the production side but I'm sure they must have a file like every time a, a detail of somebody's character or whatever or life is introduced in a script it go into the file essentially. There's,
0: there's some dude sitting somewhere in the archives in like a darkened room somewhere. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. But you know, if so, what car does he drive? You know, yeah. I think he did actually. We did actually put that into a thing, so we need to make sure he's still driving that yeah. car or, or or whatever it yeah. might be. So, but you're right. It's it's huge, and you know, even just sort of, it's more than my lifetime. Most people in the show weren't born when the program. Is like how many how many episodes? 20, well, we're on a twenty-something
0: thousand, thousand. Right? 20,000. I mean, that's that's just incredible. We've just uh, this is episode one hundred and eighty-nine, hey, yeah, Cambridge Podcast. So I thought, you know, I thought we were doing well, but hey, yeah, out uh, to start uh, somewhere, eh? Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> twenty thousand is it's incredible. It is, given that most podcasts die a lonely death, <laughs> like before episode seven or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, do you know what? Something that is, and I will plug, which is lovely, is that um, so it, the arches has as you know being around for so long has. A, I think generally this kind of uh, reputation maybe as being something for the uh, older um, lady and gentlemen, perhaps, or older generations. Um, but the truth is, actually, we are the highest downloaded thing on BBC Sounds. Yeah, I read that the other day. It's incredible. Generally, and for under thirty fives. Yeah, which is mad. That's so nice. there are generation, you know, new generations getting um, involved with the program, and 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 do you know what. Even if I do say so myself, it's really good. You know, it is really good. And once you get into it, one of the hardest parts is because it's only visual, being able to hear who's talking. You know, and being able to follow what's going on. I remember when I first joined the show and I was yeah. like, listening. It's like you get a bit lost as to who who is talking. But once you kind of understand who what's going on, I think it's uh, I think it's a lovely world. Yeah. People find some level of sort of sanctuary in it. Especially, I think, because it's also, it's sort of like, it's it's from a time
0: before television, in mm. a sense, you know. But Of course, you know, everybody knows, like, the TV dramas of the day. In, in the UK over here, mm. I'm thinking a Coronation Street. Or, yeah. What's the other one? East Dance. Something like Ant- that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's similar, in a sense, only, of course, it's a TV production. Mm. But I think the concept is very similar. Like, you have an ensemble cast of characters, a storylines that develop over time. Yeah. Copious amounts of episodes. And you get to you get to
1: produce them week on week on week. I think one of the nice things about radio is that, and it's the same with books, I suppose, is that it leaves so much up to your imagination as an audience. You know, you, and and that's one of the funny things when I meet people who listen to the show. More often than not, they they go how oh, that you're not what I think Freddie looks oh, like. Yeah, and you know, that happens to me all the time. In fact, you know, I, I love listening to podcasts,
0: surprisingly. I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise, as it right? I mean, absolutely. But I love listening to podcasts. That's what I do when I take the dog out or I go for a run, which hasn't happened in a while, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I listen to podcasts a lot. And, of course, you have an idea of what that person looks like, you know. And then when eventually you see an interview with that person, or you see a photograph of that person, you go, wow, That's, that doesn't make sense, because in my head, that person looked completely different. And uh, yeah, I can see how that. Oh,
1: it's like movies. People are very, very often disappointed with a movie of a book that they love. Yeah. If you've read the book and then they make a movie, be it Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, you go, that's, that's the... "Someone's made that choice yeah. for you." <laughs> yeah. After the fact, um, it's almost it's almost better probably to watch the film and then yeah. read the book, even though there are reasons that's sort of yeah, not true. Yeah. I grew up in the south of Germany, obviously, and so TV
0: movies. Especially like Hollywood, yeah. you know, production or whatever, they'll be done. Mm, yeah, of course. And um, and they, you know, they they're very clever in the way that they do it. Like you know, they have like a, if it's a, an A rate, A list actor, like mm. I don't know, Sean Connery or I don't know. I Tom the, Cruise. Tom Cruise, He's exactly.
1: Pretty A list.
0: Yeah, so Tom Cruise, they would typically always have the same voice actor attached to them. So if they make one movie, they have the oh, same like voice in really? another movie. Easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's, it's very interesting. It? Makes sense, and that's great. Except sometimes, oh, for me, you know, what happened was I obviously I moved from Germany to the US and then to the UK and I started watching movies with the original soundtrack. And very often I was surprised that the original voice of that actor is nothing like the dub voice. I mean, now they're, they're trying to come close, but very often it's like, you know, you have like Tom Cruise in a German version. He's talking like this. Look <laughs> <Not> quite. <laughs> but, and then, you know, then he was you. It was you who did yeah. that. I mean, I was... <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's surprising. And what's also funny is when you watch some early movies of these particular actors, like mm. when they were unknowns, Yeah, they very often have different voices at that point, you know, because they weren't A-list actors. Mm. And so you watch like, uh, I don't know, a movie with Tom Jones when, it, Tom Jones, uh, Tom Cruise when he was like pretty young. Yeah. You know. Top Gun, original. Well, Top Gun, but he was actually famous oh, at yeah, that point.
1: Was... But like before yeah. that, right? I think Top Gun was probably the movie where. that. That's really what. Brog made him yeah. yeah But he did a few sort of More sort of romantic movies Exactly right. there, yeah. So
0: I think from Top Gun onwards He would have probably had The same voice mm. You know But uh,
1: but yeah it's, it's, a, it's interesting Well funny One of the funniest things As far as like Dubbing back in old Is the old uh, Kung Fu movies <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah All of them I mean Most of them were, were dubbed by the same Like six blokes Called Keith
0: Yeah
1: <laughs> uh, Oh Your Kung Fu yeah,
0: yeah It's too strong for me and and just dreadful, dreadful. Well, I tell you what. So in, in Poland, they also used to dub, right? <laughs> back, in the, back in the day, but uh, they would have a whole. Let's say you know a soap opera with also yeah. different characters. You know, men, women, boys, girls, whatever. But it'd be one male actor dubbing all the voices no so you'd have right. the dad of the family come in and go <laughs> and then the vibe would go <laughs> and then the little kid would come in and go <laughs> you get go, what's going on this
1: is a, a good, good idea who signed up on that. and then when they saw it went yes this is yes. working very well yeah, exactly. we should continue doing oh, this
0: Oh man! Wow, it was uh yeah. I've seen that since those. was come on a ago. long way now. What I love though is I love watching movie clips like Star Wars, like clips from Star Wars, for okay. example, dubbed into different languages. Oh yeah. Um, and then also, Are you like Star Wars? Only a little bit.
1: Okay, okay yeah, I'm good. Man.
0: But um, but so that there's one particular channel that not only dubs them into German, but they adapt them into different regional dialects, and it cracks me up. It's <laughs> the funniest thing. thing. You'll have to show me that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think you get the same thing with like Scottish accents. Yeah, Welsh. Welsh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Darth Darth Vader yeah. in Welsh would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like you know your your favorite movie. is father, Luke. <laughs> your favorite movie is reimagined. Yeah. Even that has like a Welsh slur to it. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. <laughs> but um, okay, let's let's talk a little bit about the the of the, the casting process. How does that work with soap opera? A soap opera, like a radio drama like that. Um, when they, I mean, what I'm thinking is. You know, let's say the writers come up with a new character, mm. and then it goes into the casting process. Mm. Um, how much do the does, do the writer does the writing team or the casting directors already sort of have a particular idea of what their character is like, or do they just bring actors in, listen, and go back and that doesn't match?
1: No, I think I think they'll always have um, I think they'll always have an idea of who they're looking for. Mm. You know, within certain parameters. Um, I mean, look, it depends exactly who they are. You know, if they're they're related to someone, then they need to have a similar background to the character that's Mm. already there. Um, You know, age-wise, they're going to be sort of predetermined. Um, But obviously, then there are certain characters, like, say, you know, when certain characters end up going through, like, litigation or the the courts or whatever, there'll be someone cast as a lawyer. That's pretty open, I think. Mm. Um, But as it's such a large show often they'll try and get these sort of cameo roles. They'll actually bring in some interesting names, you know. Okay. So uh, I worked with um, Anthony Head, who played Giles in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I hope I got that name right. I'm pretty sure I did. I'm hmm. so bad with names. But um, <clears throat> but yeah, Anthony, he, and he was lovely chap, but, you know, to come into the green room and he's sat there so but you know he came in and played a, a little character who comes and goes and some sort of stuff like that so so occasionally they'll do that but um but yeah generally as i say i think you know they are trying to sort of be more diverse in the sort of uh casting of certain characters um and bring in just sort of like i think it's just about the variety you know um spice of life so so they will be looking for someone who fills a certain criteria but then when they audition people, they'll audition sort of a spectrum. Again, be open to possibilities, you know, somebody surprising them, I think. Um, which I think is the, the, the case with with hiring of any kind these days. You know, I think it's important to, to you know, everyone always has an idea of who they're looking for in their mind. But being open and receptive of, of other ideas um, can result in something even better than you could have thought of
0: i mean how far in advance do you produce those episodes like how you know what i'm thinking is like first of all how many episodes do you record in like one go and then then what happens if
1: there's a world event that well we do three a day um because again they're 12 minutes long so i think we, so a recording is about two hours and 15 minutes or something like that to record a whole thing and you start by everybody sitting around the table who's in that um episode reading it through so that the production team can get an idea of, you know, the shape of it and how long, if it's running too long or whatever, because obviously they've got a broadcast window to fit it into, um, if something needs cutting or whatever, and then you go through and record the individual scenes. um, And that happens about three weeks before broadcast, um, over a sort of two-week block. Um, But yeah, if something massively important happens or something that needs addressing, then people will get phone calls and they'll sort of spin something round as fast as they need to do so, you know.
0: How, how are you able to kind of arrange that around your other, like, acting commitments or, or, if, or unless you're a filmmaker as well, we'll talk about that yeah. in a second. But how, how do you, how do you, yeah, how do you jiggle all of that?
1: Well, they aren't, so, so you, you know in advance the filming, uh, sorry, the, I mean, the, re, the recording blocks. Mm. So, you know, you know that these are the dates that the studio is happening um, and then you essentially keep them updated with your availability. Mm. So, Until they offer you an episode and say, you know, we've got four episodes for you this month and these are things. And if you say, yes, thank you very much, confirmed, um, then they're in. You shouldn't and can't and don't change that. Unless something massive happens. If you did say, you know, Tom Cruise has rung me up, he wants me to dub his new German movie. (laughs) (laughs) They probably, you know, because, you know, they're humans and they understand who you... And and, and they'll try and juggle stuff around if they can possibly. Yeah. but, yeah, if you've got something, if you're in a play, or you're on something that's going to take you out, you, you, you'll kind of say, look, I'm not going to be available for so long. And um, and they'll write around it, you know. So they'll be like, okay, if you had a storyline that was coming up, but you, they know you're not available for two months, well, someone else will kind of be in there. And then they'll just – one of them I – mean, and, and they can do that to your advantage if you're not available. And then also one of the things which is quite soul-destroying when you haven't been in it for a while is hearing your, your character referenced to. <laughs> you'll get a character at the beginning of the go oh, God, uh, have you seen... Them? You never say, oh, God, on Radio 4, so that never happens. But they've come oh, have you seen Freddy? Oh, yeah, he's just left. <laughs> oh, no. Freddy's just down in the paddock or something, so you're, so you're there, but they don't God. need they don't need yeah. to pay you to come in and talk about
0: it. <laughs> have they ever written somebody out of the show because I couldn't stand it? Like, oh, man, this
1: guy's pissing... Look, I just, I, I, oh, God, I mean, maybe, <laughs> probably. I wouldn't want to, uh, it, you know, I wouldn't want to comment, really. Right, I mean, right. right. I, I think the thing is, you want to be you want to be fun to work with and you and and ultimately sometimes people need to be killed off for the for the for the storyline mm. you all hope it's not going to be you because you know theoretically you could be in the show for your whole life and many people are and many people you know sadly recently we lost um someone um passed away still in the show you know and, and and they worked for their whole life in the arches and that's something you'd like to do so so you don't ruffle feathers where you but that's I think the case with, with all acting and, and all these sorts of things. You know, be a nice person, be fun to work with and, and, and they won't mm-hmm. want to get rid of you. Um, you know, I've heard rumours of certain people perhaps drawing a target on their back. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um but that's not always the case. You know, I also know of people who just, you know, drew the short straw, unfortunately, and their and their character unfortunately was was killed off. Um, yeah. Is that touching the, wood? I'm going to go that the thing you're always battling against? It's like that that fear of getting killed off. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, you know, do you know what? And, and the only reason that that's the case is because it is a dream job, you know. Mm. We love it. You just, you almost, you can almost sort of run a car off the smugness in that room when you're all sat there in the green room, like you're there, you've got an episode. We're, all just, we're just so happy to be there yeah. and to be a part of it. And again, to have that family and, you know, and the sad truth is if you do get killed off, Immediately, that hot you could have been in it for twenty years, and then suddenly all those people who, yeah, and you still can, you know, we all have a WhatsApp group and we all can chat, and everyone's still there for you. But you're suddenly not involved with something that you spent. I mean, I've never had any other job that's lasted that long. <laughs> like, is it being employed by somebody? Oh God, no, absolutely not. Yeah. So you know, to have seven years under my belt and not be fired is wonderful, and I don't <laughs> ever want to lose that. You know, I found found my people, and uh, yeah. Touch wood. <laughs> I'm keeping, keeping the wood touch, man. Cool, man. Let's talk a
0: little bit about filmmaking yeah, let's right do. after this. Hey, let me just jump in real quick to tell you about the amazing sponsor of this episode, Platypod. Platypod offers innovative camera support systems designed to unleash your creativity. With their stable, versatile, and portable solutions, you can capture stunning shots like never before. And I'm not just saying that. As the host of the Camera Shake podcast, I can personally vouch for Platypod's incredible products. They've become an integral part of the show. In fact, I'm surrounded by various Platterbot products holding up lights, cameras, microphones, and so on. It's really helped to transform the way I make the show and the way I shoot at home in the studio and on location. But don't just take my word for it. Explore Platterbot's website at www.platterpod.com to discover their range of products, including the Platypod Extreme, Platterball tripod heads, and the brand new handle, of course. Make sure to follow Platterpod on Instagram and Facebook at Platterpod Tripods for exclusive updates, tips, and giveaways. By choosing Platterpod, you're not only investing in your photography, but you're also supporting the Camera Shake Photography Podcast. Thanks again to Platterpod, our amazing sponsor. Platterpod, where innovation never sleeps. Okay, so we've, we've talked about your, your role in the artist, mm. but I've also introduced you as a filmmaker, because that's actually how I got to know you in the first place. Yeah. So it just gives a backstory on your, on your filmmaking career. Sure.
1: Um, well, I started my film company. I started, in a way, a film company when I left acting school because I think everybody, when you're at acting school for three years, you're in this kind of little bubble where you know you get given parts in things and you know roles in pl- in films and stuff. Mm. As you, but then there's this sort of like kickout date when you're spat out into the world of being a self-employed, freelance, essentially actor. And uh, I was terrified that I'd never, never get any work, you know. And I think everybody is, 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 is a very, very vulnerable. And I, and I you know, I studied in in London, which is an incredibly expensive place to uh, live and work. Um, and um, and I'd been a chef before I went to, to um, drama school. So, and I did not want to end up back there. You know, I loathed my life as a chef. It was a very, very difficult industry. And I have tons of respect for anyone who does hospitality. But if anything, as I think... I'm
0: not going to come around to your place with it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Should have <get> that quiet. <laughs> uh, but I think doing the things that you hate can be very beneficial yeah. in that it tells you what you don't want. Oh. And it and it can often give you the yeah. spur to try something that might sound ridiculous, but why not give it a go? Oh,
0: and I think both creators have been in that boat at some point. You know, I'm thinking like, you know, jobbing actors, you know, yeah. photographers, at the beginning of your career, you are going to have to wait tables and work at McDonald's yeah. all these kinds of things. You just have to do them. Absolutely. You know, I remember when I graduated from music college, it's exactly what I did. Yeah. You know, I to worked in market research. My first job in the UK was actually, uh, I was a dishwasher at Pizza Hut.
1: Oh, it's brutal.
0: True. Yeah, they wouldn't even let me in the front.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, course probably <laughs> didn't, because
0: you were covered <laughs> head-to-toe in yeah, crime yeah. and nasty. Like you, you stay in the back oh man um, yeah so I was literally washing yeah. dishes um as, as my first job in, in this country and you know and the thing is like you do it because you know exactly that you know this is what allows you to keep doing the other thing that you love which is yeah. the creative part of you you know now yeah. and then you just try to shift that over yeah. and start actually making some money with your yeah. creative endeavor you know that's that's a difficult that's a difficult part and
1: I think with creative endeavors is it's uh it's it, and I, maybe maybe it isn't as much as you set yourself up to think it is, but it always feels like a huge risk. You know, there's no, there's far less clear path to making a living. You know, if you <laughs> train as a plumber, people need their boilers fixed. You get the qualification, you can work as a plumber, and there's demand for it. Whereas saying I'm going to become an actor, there's no guarantee that you will. Um, yep. So you are you are really taking a gamble. And and for me, it was. Getting to the point with being a chef. Now, I always wanted to be an actor, um, but it it felt like telling someone you wanted to be a pop star or yeah. a f- professional footballer. It kind of felt like a ridiculous thing to say. And really, you should get some qualifications and go and be a lawyer or something, you know, respectable. But but I ended up because I went travelling, snowboarding, and stuff like that, and ended up ended up falling into being a chef because there just happens to be a restaurant in every place in the world, and and so I came back to England and. That was all I had on my CVs, and this thing, I know I'm stuck as a chef. Mm. Um, and I thought, do you know what, going to drama school seems like a stupid thing to do, but it's better than this. I, mean, I might as well, if, if we all thing everything falls apart, I can always just carry on doing this. Um, yeah. So, but but when I left drama school, I didn't I didn't desperately didn't want to go back to doing that sort of thing. Mm. So, um, and with acting, you're very much at the behest of other people. You know, you need them to employ you. And as I said, most jobs are one day, a short period of time. <clears throat> and then you're back to looking for more work. You're constantly looking for work. Um, and so I thought by starting a film company, um, I would have some sort of control of my life and of my own destiny. And it didn't, as these things never do, turn out in the same way as I thought. You know, I imagine I'd you know, I got a camera uh, and I would write, short films and I would star in them and it would give me more kind of exposure and uh, you know and and, and you, you quickly you quickly learn when you start doing filmmaking how expensive it is you know how many people are required to do it to a decent standard. And if you don't do it to a decent standard, you may as well not get out of bed in the morning. There's no point. Yeah. You know, you, you you have to do these things properly. And I think there's this, this a crucial point as well. You mentioned, you know, getting other people involved in it. Yeah. And, you know,
0: I know in the beginning, and certainly this is the case for me, and I think it's the case for many people. In the beginning, you know, I used to draw in favours from lots of people. People would just yeah. help out, as yeah. I said, you know, because they like what you do, you know, they do your favour and whatever. But there's a point where you actually stop paying. Yeah, pay. yeah. And that's absolutely. where things.
1: That's where things. There's only so many favors you can call in, and actually, you soon learn that you don't want to waste your favors. Yeah, exactly. On something yeah. that isn't worth doing. Yeah. And and when I first, you know, set up this this film company, if you want to call it that, half, you know, I kept loads of people from drama schools. I was like, I can start bringing you script. Oh, I've written a script. Oh, let's film it. Let's film it. And and I actually read the the screenplay of Pulp Fiction. You know, I used to read loads and loads of scripts and mostly plays, but then screenplays as well. You read Pulp Fiction, you read the first two pages of Pulp Fiction and you are sold. Right. You go, wow, it leaps off the page. You know, you just think, yeah, that, this, 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 is this is what it's about. Can we make this, you know? And I decided that if a script doesn't make me feel like that within reason, you know, Popish is is, is a masterpiece, but yes. like, do you know what I mean like if you read a script and you're kind of going well, yeah, okay, don't do it because you're going to spunk thousands of pounds you're going to call in loads of favours that you you know, can't call in again necessarily and you're going to put tons and tons of time and energy into something that no one's going to watch hmm. and you won't be happy with, and don't get me wrong, like making things you learn a lot, right, and you should get out there and make stuff, but don't throw too much at something that's not worth doing and and it's something i always say to people which i've kind of come over the years please get your scripts edited please get your scripts edited um because we all can write something and it sounds amazing in our own heads and at 2am your jo- you know, your jokes are making you laugh but <laughs> yeah but you've just got to give it to someone to refine you know to to cut out when you're repeating yourself cut something you're like oh i left aim because i like this joke but does it do anything for your story? Is it necessary? Yeah. You know, and actually, you know, taking something and then just refining it and making it better. You know, cutting room floors are littered with the yeah. bodies of dead, beautiful shots yeah, that yeah. you've had to lose because. Yeah. And it's, I always say this yeah, I love the delete button. And it's
0: like this is true for, for recording music and writing, you know, writing music, uh, but also, of course, for photography and especially video editing. I love the delete button. Yeah. It's just nothing. As satisfying, and when you aging. sit there and you go like, oh man, I love this shot, but it doesn't really work in this context. Yeah. And then you get yourself to hit the delete button. It's like, like clearing
1: out your closet. Isn't it? Yeah, you don't want it's to nice. lose that stuff. You've clung onto this thing for years, and you think, I'm going to put it in the bin. Yeah. And you put it in the bin, and you look at the space that it's left there. Yeah, and you just think, oh. it's a beautiful drone shot that you spent yeah, hours okay. and, and the sun, sun is yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's a sun, yeah, yeah. sunset. Yeah, It looks amazing. It's like yeah, but, but the, this delve this is set work. in the middle of the day. Well, for, yeah, but it looks great, but it doesn't suit the story. Or, or like, you know, in a
0: commercial context, when instance, a client says, well, there's a, there's a hard stop. It can only be one minute, and 50 seconds. And you're like,
1: yeah. I have
0: to do I have to do this Which, you
1: know what? I've made a lot. Well, so <clears throat> that was what I was hoping would happen, would I write loads of... And and you quickly realise that people don't pay for short films. There's no money in it. You know, like, you know, it's a passion project. And you if you're looking to go down a narrative route you should be making them and looking to do that. But the truth is people pay for commercial corporate advertising films because there's a return on investment for the people who are giving you the money to do that. And so I quickly found myself in that space, you know. And and, and it's a great learning ground, you know, um, for filmmaking for, for a number of reasons, you know. Um, the great thing about something corporate or something advertising is you have a goal you have a message specifically that you're trying to communicate. So it gives you this kind of spine around which to build your ideas, which I think when you're starting with just, you know, pie in the sky, kind of like filmmaking, you, you, again, people get lost and kind of like distracted with this that, and it loses this kind of like sort of central idea, whereas advertising forces you to focus on on achieving something. Um, it gives you the opportunity to roll camera on lots of different people, lots of different environments, studios, in in locations, play with different cameras, experiment with lighting. Um, and something that I learned to love as an exercise is the 30-second commercial. Uh-huh. For exactly that reason, you have to delete stuff. You only have a number of frames, yeah. and you simply cannot keep everything it's 30 seconds long and you'll have shot all day yeah you know yeah, and again and that comes into it as well it's like you quickly learn that just shooting the shit out of everything mm. i can swear on this guy sure. just shooting the shit out of everything which is what i used to do because you know i panic i was like right I'm about shoot pretty, an yeah an event yeah. i'm gonna shoot shit out of this thing it's, yeah. it's gonna be within an inch of its life shot and you go over with eight hours of roll and yes. you realize I now have to process all of
0: this. It's you know, and it's it's a, it's actually you know it's a valid method. It does work, but oh, it works. So, but it's inefficient. It, completely inefficient. It's so time intensive. Mm. Um, I, mean, I used to do the same thing. You know, when a, everybody does. Yeah, and you know, you, you end up with hours and hours and hours of footage, like five million takes of B roll mm. that you'll never need. <laughs> no. You know, um, but but you then go through all this. I mean, it's the same thing. I can I create to music. Um, mm. you know, I remember. I remember the day when, uh, in particular, when recording to hard drives um, became the thing in studios. So this was like around 2000-ish, right? Mm. Um, when when the, As well, opposed to tape. As opposed to tape. Right, so yeah. In the days when you recorded to tape, you had limited tape, right? And yeah. limited tracks as well. So you yeah. couldn't really go crazy, right? Mm. But there was a point in the early 2000s where everything went digital. And so what would typically happen, mm. would be like, uh, I'd turn up at a studio and I record a track, and let's say it would be an eight-bar guitar solo, right? And so the producer would basically set these eight bars on a loop and just let me play. And I'd literally sit there for an hour and a half, just jamming to it. Mm. And then they would go in afterwards and cut a solo together out of yeah. all of the eight-bar takes that yeah. I've done. And you know, and I thought, oh well, it's cool because you can pick out all the best bits. Mm. But of course, on the other hand, it's like, and there are well, times where that works,
1: yeah. You know, and that, and, and you're right. You know, I mean, with a guitar solo, I think that's not yeah. necessary about it because. Because it's a sort of statement section of a thing. It's just eight bars you're looking for. Get loads of it. What an effort! But but if you were doing if you're applying that process instead to eight bars Mm. to five minutes of you know if you're applying apply that to to one bit. And I do you know there are certain shots that I will roll loads of times. I know that all of those takes is just I'm just looking for one thing. Yeah yeah yeah. I'm going to shoot the whole film. Like that? No, of course not. No, because God, you're, just, you're just giving yourself a headache. So you know what I started doing is, um, and this this really helped
0: me a lot is, um, especially in the context of YouTube, for example, when mm. I do YouTube videos like for for Planet I I was mm. um of this podcast, of course, and I create um, tutorial content for them. Mm. So what I tend to do is, um, I I tend to write a script, yeah. you know, so a script the talkies, Is a called it, basically talking heads when we talk them. Yeah. Um, and what I do then is I then, based on that script, before I record anything, I then go through it and I, I put a, uh, a complete B-roll shot list together. Mm. And so once I've done the A-roll shot, I can then literally go in and pick out exactly which shots I need to underline what I'm saying. So if mm. I explain a particular concept or a technique or whatever, yeah. I need to have all of the B-roll shots to visualize all of that mm. content. And so for me to have a shot list, to go like, okay, well, there's 25 B-roll shots that I need for this, mm. right? And I can then go and I can shoot the first one, the second one, the third one. By the end of that list, I'm done. I've shot exactly what I need. I haven't overshot. Yeah. The beauty of that is, in the editing process, I can sit down and I can, uh, you know, edit the first scene or something. And I know exactly which B-roll shots I need. Yeah. So they're all there. It's super quick, super efficient. I don't spend tons of time searching
1: for yourself and, and generally your 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 script through the process of actually sitting down beforehand and going right what do i actually need specifically will make everything better yeah yeah. because you've thought about it you've planned it you you know like i didn't use to storyboard right. i didn't use the story until i got my very first like decent budget to make something mm-hmm. uh i think i got like 12 grand to make a movie to make like a had thing whatever, and I went all in. I was like, I didn't, I'm not going to make any money on this. Yeah. I've got an Ari Alexa Mini, you know. Right. I rung up my mate, who you know, DOP chap, who you know, I've worked with before, and I was like, I've got some money. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go. We shot on anamorphic lenses. Yeah. Uh, we went all in on this puppy, right? And I and this is before I got my iPad, which is fantastic for storyboarding because you can yeah. you know delete stuff and edit, undo. Stuff. But at the time, so I basically had printed or cut. Loads of bits of card or paper to sort of like frame size, and I started like, oh, I thought like, I have to shot list this because if I don't yeah. know what I'm going to cut from, cut from, cut from, then then the, I was like, if I lose this twelve grand, if I yeah. if I don't <laughs> deliver the goods on this, yeah. I'm in big trouble. And, you know, but I just I do the same thing. I storyboard particularly when I do kind of you know, sort of
0: Robert Rodriguez uh, fast cut type yeah. of s- sequences. Yeah, so I I would then storyboard the whole thing. Mm. Um, other than that, I mean, for YouTube videos, for the ones that I make anyway, i don't necessarily No, because that's
1: slightly different, but this was very narrative-driven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, was, this was like, you know, it looked like a piece of cinema, you yeah. know. Um, and when you've got 20 people on set and your location is costing you like a £1,000 an hour or something ridiculous, yeah. you just simply cannot, A, not get what you need, Yeah, because you can't go back, you've not got any money left in the budget, and you simply cannot, like you know, waste the time you're there because the camera takes so long to set up. The lighting takes so, so long to set up. And it's also, it's a communication thing, I think, you know, because you, you're working with a the
0: team there. The you point. have to be able to communicate. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, if, you, if, you, if you did that without storyboards, it would take infinitely longer. Yeah, yeah. Or, or it'd be impossible to make sure that everyone on set is exactly
1: clear on yeah. what the idea is for the sequence. And it just make yeah. it just frees you up. You're not there making, making those decisions. You're tweaking. Yeah. You're going in there with a plan. Yeah um and i i would i mean you know small corporate type things i won't just storyboard absolutely sure. not you know yeah. because you because it is like interview let what they say mm. kind of you cut together a narrative from what they say yeah. and then you like you populate that with b-roll mm. but anything which is kind of like you know tv spot or something which is sure. kind of like a story where you know the camera isn't a character in the film you know yeah. it's actually fun i you know you will get so your quality of production will shoot through the roof because you don't waste time i know exactly i'm going to cut from a wide because i want to see the roof and you start you understand why you choose one shot or over another why do you why do you want a wide lens or, or a long lens sure. you know but you start understanding how these things affect your viewers experience yeah. and 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 all those decisions are tied to the story you know do I want to feel like I'm a part of the scene? Or do I want to feel like I'm observing the scene?
0: Yeah, I, I think the, the thing is, you know, you're, you're kind of, by visualising, by, by storyboarding a scene, you're literally, you're going into depth when it comes to visualising mm. that scene, and, it, and you're turning it yeah. from words on a page yeah. into an actual visual game yeah. And you can do it,
1: yeah. but, you know, these days I'll, I'll go to the location on the recce mm. and I'll take photographs. Yeah, I'll, And I'll get someone to pose in you know just to get where the shot's going to be relative so you can start kind of you don't need to be an amazing artist and actually what i tend to do is i tend to take those photos put them into you know procreate or something on the ipad with the pen and then draw around them and Mm. and if i need oh i need a hand coming in well i'll just get you know my fiance or whatever to put a hand in the position i want it to be take a photo and then just superimpose that in and i can Mm. build shots with very quickly using photos and layering stuff and just rough sketching um yeah, I, I really do feel like it's something that if you're... And it's only really, you know, people starting out in filmmaking who wouldn't be doing storyboarding. Yeah, but absolutely. But the sooner you take that step to actually bothering to storyboard, mm-hmm. your understanding of of how you choose your shot, why do I choose this shot over that shot, will will actually skyrocket.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I mean, the same principle is really true for, you know, professional photo shoots.
1: I'm sure it is, yeah. That's
0: the thing, was the same, you know, you wreck the location, yeah. you think about angles and stuff like that you know, you visualize what you're going to do yeah and, and that's going to inform lighting so a lot of the decisions um to be made actually make before you ever get to set
1: and you're and especially when you're starting out or you're not in the sort of like stratospheric echelons of of the industry you know often your usp is going to include your affordability sure and sure. you know i always say everything that we make should look at least three to four times more expensive than it was to do yeah and the better prepared you are the more you can squeeze out of your time on set and your equipment and all these sorts of things you you can you can do filmmaking is incredibly wasteful at the highest level yeah yeah amazingly wasteful everybody's assistant has an assistant you know there's a van and three lorries full of lighting that they don't need but just in case they need they have because why not we've got yeah, 250 million pound budget yeah nobody ever needed catering I mean it the case yeah who cares just get them dominant no <laughs> but you know there are so many sort of efficiencies that you can find in the filmmaking process mm-hmm. that don't actually stop you from creating an amazing look that means that you can actually especially when you're starting out you can get those clients by saying we can achieve this but for five grand less than mm-hmm. everyone else is going to charge you yeah um, yeah, so, 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 but, but you, you know, you learn that. I do remember being perplexed by lens choice. Why do I want to shoot on a 50 mil or a 35 mil or a room wider or whatever? Yes. Um, and, and you, and you learn, and you learn actually to, to, to take everything. And this is what I always talk about now. And I always used to think it sounded so wanky when everybody says this, is that the story. Well, North American. Oh, yes. Totally totally so. Wanky means what? What does wanky mean to North American? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, god, it's a, it's
0: a rude way of saying ridiculous, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. lame, <laughs> so yeah. Lame. Lame. lame, yeah, yeah, just a little bit like, um, but the truth is, the script and the story are the most important thing. Every decision that you make from casting to camera angle to camera lens. To colors, you know, getting into think what colors are they wearing? You know, deciding to put like I did a Christmas ad, and my two main characters were the only people who were allowed to wear red. So everyone, whatever you want, but no one else was wearing red. The guy had a red hand, she had a red jacket, so they just popped out of every everything. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> being really deliberate about what your, all the choices you make and all of those sort of like decisions coming from something that supports the story. And by that, I mean, do I, how do I want my audience to feel at this point? Do I want them to be nervous? Do I want them to feel, you know, energized? Do I want them to, do I want my character to feel powerful or do I want them to feel kind of like weak? Do, you know, all of these sorts of things. Is it fast paced because, or do I want my camera moving to be really slow because it's and, and, and contrast. You know, having a having a story arc, even in the smallest of things, from you know, man opens jar of Marmite, mm-hmm. spreads Marmite, eats Marmite. There's a journey there. It starts here and ends. There. Even the throws up. Yeah, it throws up exactly. <laughs> you know, twist and and the what happens at the end can often include your twist. But but putting story into absolutely everything and allowing that to sort of inform your decision making, not only. Does it make your films better? It it means you can make the decisions. Mm. You're not sat there going, I don't know what camera movement. Maybe we could do a wide here. I remember just not knowing. Second you go to your script and you go, right, do I want them to know that my character's sort of in a busy room yet? No. So I'm going to start with a close-up on their face. You know, and I get... Ooh, because then my audience is going, where is he? What's going on? And then I show you that. oh, he's in a canteen, you know, or, you know, he might be there like shaving. Oh, he's shaving. Okay, he's shaving. Bang, he's in the park. You know, you you choose at what point you reveal information, you know. The whole point of filmmaking is deciding what people look at when you have that control. Yes. When you're on the stage, <clears throat> everything's out in front of you. Is on the stage and everyone can look at it. And so it's a slightly different thing. Whereas filmmaking, I can choose if I only want you to see... If I want you to see that I've got coffee or no coffee left. Or, do you know what I mean? You, you you can decide at what point you reveal certain pieces of information. And that's why you decide, I need a close-up now. Don't throw a close-up of their eye because it's a cool shot of their eye. Because, why? See, this is the thing I've always loved about filmmaking or video.
0: Um, as opposed <clears throat> to, do, like, still photography, for example, is the fact that you can you can shape a storyline over time. Mm. Like you can, with a stills photograph, of course you can tell a whole story in one shot, you mm. know, but what you can't do is is reveal things over time, you know? And this is the thing that's that's always fascinated me with video and just as many of our listeners and, and viewers know, because I've talked about it many times. Actually, you know, I started as a kid, I started with video. Mm. That was the first thing, because my grandmother and my dad were all photographers um, and there was a lot of stills photography around, so I thought, that. I'm going to do my own thing, and yeah, here absolutely. you are now, well, <laughs> I'm and, crawling back to your, and, your bloodline. Well, plus you know, it was the '80s, and you know, Steven Spielberg was the thing, and yeah. Star Wars, and yeah, yeah. Jurassic Park, and whatnot. And I kind of thought, well, you know, sod still images. <laughs> I make a move, you know. Yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, a weird twist of fate. I do I think, think so. however, and so as much as I agree with you, I actually think so. Painting,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what what I love about painting, and and I can't remember where I heard someone talking about this, but it kind of re- it, it made me really think about it. Painting is like a film, but it's all there out in front of you. Hmm. And a painter, a good painter, hmm. decides where your eye goes. Oh, yeah. It draws you into that point first, and then your eye is led to another part of the film. Fa- so even though it's all there, much like a piano, yeah. everything is there, but... Laid out in front of you, but but actually, you still start somewhere, and you're drawn elsewhere, and that and and that is 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 a form of art that I admire massively. Absolutely, and the thing Skill about set. the thing about photography, uh, about painting. When
0: I think photography does the same thing, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's, yeah. It's you tell you tell us the whole story in mm. one frame or across a sequence of short sure. frames, um, and of course, you decide what you reveal and in what order and how. Mm how you allow the the viewer to travel through that image mm. as you direct the eye and everything um it's it, again you know what i what i love about filmmaking is is that you can do that over time yeah. so you can you can hint at something that hasn't revealed itself yet mm. or maybe reveals itself very differently from the way that you hinted at it in the beginning
1: mm-hmm. and then you yeah and twists and you could you can you can yeah, yeah. For someone to make assumptions, yes, exactly. That's why I mean. yeah, yeah, that yeah. you then shatter. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So that's
0: uh, to me, that's always been super, super fascinating. Yeah, when it comes to filmmaking. So, which is why I'm, I'm always sort of, yeah, you know, I'm 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 wondering this this fine line between, you know, stills photography and video and, and filmmaking, mm. because to me, those two things are not
1: separate art forms. No, to me, they're not. all part of what I would call the visuals and not just from a technical standpoint you know obviously there are clear similarities there but but yeah. but just you're right there is a there's a lot of overlap and i i guess i started the other way around i i was always very keen into photography as yeah. a kid and took loads of photos and, and loved that sort of thing and and kind of found filmmaking through acting and sort of stumbled into it and um yeah there's there's massive overlaps and i think you can learn a lot from doing one can help you yeah well,
0: absolutely 100 percent. yeah
1: definitely i mean just it really the
0: similarities are so massive that you know if you have a really uh, you know a really grounded knowledge base when it comes to photography that helps you
1: massively oh yeah i mean it's light and the, color yeah exact shape, exactly. shape contrast and, and it's these like, sorts
0: of things. and it's apertures and
1: yeah or from a technical point of view yeah. exactly and um yeah they definitely and i see so i like so i i really enjoy um photography as a hobby um because it's almost it's almost like a a breather from from video and film because because I can take one at a time yeah and then, you know, filming is more is more difficult um, and I don't mean this sort of technically or artistically I just mean that you know if someone ruins the sound it screws the whole shot up or whatever you know yeah. you could you, you you need the whole shot to work you know if you start f- filming and then someone fluffs their lines that shot you know is ruined. So I like the photography that it is a moment mm. and you can f- you can kind of focus in on 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 that moment and that specific frame um which I find find quite cathartic. Mm. So let's talk about 35mm film shooting because I know you love a I bit of love a, a bit it's of 35mm yeah. film camera and medium format I sort of dipped my toes into. Yeah, I, I and I know it's you know again we're going to, now you've learned um folks the the word wanky i'm going to bring it back up again uh it can come across a bit wanky you know it's it's like being obsessed with vinyl or you know something of that ilk it feels archaic it it feels expensive and it's definitely got very very much more expensive uh, in the last couple of years i think a, a roll of portrait went from sort of 11 12 pounds to Twenty-two pounds in in like God in about six months. It just happened overnight, like the like the price of a pint. Just suddenly, what happened? Are they making this stuff out of platinum now? But yeah, so so it is expensive. It's massively expensive. But I feel like the the thing you get from thirty-five millimeter film is it forces you to slow down. Mm You can take a thousand photographs on your digital camera and get it just right. You take a few, not one minute, and take another one, no, There is something more um, sort of, I don't know, nostalgic. I like, whenever I'm taking a photograph of somebody, and often they'll go, oh, no, 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 I always say, think about how you'll think about this photo of you in 20 years' time. You'll love it. We all look at pictures of us when we were much younger, and at the time, you're like, "Oh God, I hate that photo." And you think, "God, I look so young and fresh-faced, right?" And I love the thing about photography that it has this kind of like time capsule esque quality to it. I love portraiture; it's my favourite kind of thing, which is obviously your your area's best expertise. And I don't like, and I'm not really that bothered by um, candid photography anymore. I like them to know I'm taking the photo. I want them to look down the lens. I want to see into their soul. I, I, yeah. That's what I'm looking for is that kind of thing that you can't capture that that, that is... Connection between human beings, and I love what looking at photographs from the 1800s of someone who who is long gone, yeah, and is staring at you through time. And you know what I like? I mean, I'm, obviously, prodigious, is my thing I love seeing people
0: in old photographs. The one thing I really love about going to pubs, especially in this country, <sighs> is that very often. You see these, these all it's sort of photographs, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, and you immediately start
1: comparing. You're like, oh yeah, that building is still there. Look at what that looked like. There's a man with a horse and cart, yeah, yeah, yeah. and before tarmac was invented. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I love the way back in those days because cameras were so unusual, and mm. people just stare. Those cameras, yeah. you know, those pictures of kids in the street, like you know, go, what is he doing? Gutter-snipe yeah. children from a slum just staring at the lens, and yeah. it's just wonderful. Yeah. And so there's something about the imperfection. Of not being able to go, mm, not quite right, and fix yeah. it. Because you never, if you fix it, those 999 photos that weren't the perfect one will never see the live day. Yeah. They will be bin, And then you'll post-production it, and it'll look fucking wonderful, and everything's great. But I like those photos that aren't quite right. Because in that 20, 30, 40, 50 years' time, when they're in a shoebox, because I like to print them out as well. There's just something about the imperfections, the fact that someone's not looking the right way in a group photo or something like that. You can, And the fact that you can't fix it then. You have to just let it be. And then, you know, because film processing is also very expensive, I always sort of wait until... My uh, the lab I use hasn't heard from me for a while, and I get that inevitable email go, like, We've not heard from you for a while, have 20% off. And I go, Lovely, here's 45 <laughs> rolls of film. Yeah, thank you very much. I just cash in. And so, and then when you get them back, you're just reminded of all these things that you forgot you took a photo of. And I think if you get five really good photos out of a roll of film, then you've done well. You're like, That's what I'm looking for. And often I get way more. And very rarely, occasionally, though you get less. But sometimes you just get one, and, you know, one, yeah, and you just go yeah. whoa! And it yeah. just there's something about that chemical reaction that happens on a on a film stock yeah. that that for me, you know, pulls on my heartstrings. You see, so the thing
0: for me about when it comes to like film photography mm. and and actual physical prints and stuff um, is, you know, I love looking through old prints like from my parents back in the eighties, nineties, yeah. or, or whatever, right? And the thing that I love about that is when I see my kids take photos today on their iPhones or whatever, and they take selfies or whatever, mm. you know, it, literally they take 10, 12, 20 shots of themselves and they pose in different ways until everything's perfect. And then that one out of the 12 shots will sit like that day, as you said. Mm-hmm. But that's a really staged shot. In the same way that if we look at early photographs from the like eighteen eighties or something, you know, when when people used to stand there like sticks, you know, with a broomstick in the back, <laughs> and you know, we was I remember when I was a kid, you know, you look at these photos, you are like, "Well, that looks so staged." Yeah. You know? And of course, I look at the the prints, for instance, that my parents had, like in the in eighties the or something, like just family shots, holiday shots. These aren't completely unstaged. They're like in the moment shots of mm-hmm. of something that of a moment that actually happened in time, and I always feel like. That's the thing that I find so beautiful about this, because that's
1: literally just freezing a moment in time Mm. rather than staging a thing, you know. But then I think there is also something, again, we have to, with all of these things and Mm. trends, we have to remove ourselves from our time. And then back at this trend of this from another hundred years time in the future. And it will be idiosyncratic as yes. now. of course. It and it carries in its own sort of fabric something else yes. that at the moment we're like, meh. In yes. the same way, as music of a time yes. never has the impact it has until 30 years later when people go, yes. oh, do you remember that? And suddenly the 90s, everyone's longing for the 90s. Yeah, so it was an interesting thing. But as an interview I read with a very famous street photographer and the name is
0: gives to me now, but it was an interesting thing. Um, and the discussion went about how street photography has changed from the 1950s to now, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the most remarkable things is he uh, said, like, if you go out to London, New York City, wherever maybe, and you take photos of people in the street, mm-hmm. out, a sign of the time now is that you'll find people looking at their phones. So that's the pose you'll see a lot. You never saw that mm-hmm. in the 50s, in the 60s or 70s, because mobile phones didn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. So in a hundred years where people look back at photographs, street photographer uh, street photography from our time, one of the one of those telling telltale signs will be people yeah. looking at their phones. and it's
1: on crazy. that note my I've got some of my favorite photos I've ever taken mm. and partly because I felt like I was contributing to the archive of time in a different mm. way was during the pandemic. right I have some absolutely wonderful photos of tube carriages. So I've got this one photo of which is looking down a tube carriage and it's got that horrible putrid yellow lighting that you get on yes. the on the on the underground, you know, it, and everyone is just in masks. Um and I think it must have been during the like first time they unlocked everything. Right. So it's still in the heart of terrified time, but they kind of opened it. And obviously, this is the underground, so it's it's packed in like sardines, really, really busy. And then there's this one lady, must be in her seventies perched on the edge of a seat with her mask on mm. and she looks and she's looking straight down the lens and she is clearly terrified yeah and everyone is just masked up to, and 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 it's just such of its moment you mm. know and I and I could see it at the time I was like this is gonna be like photos of the blitz or whatever yeah. do you know what I mean um but yeah so this is why I like it as a hobby I like it I feel like I am an archivist I feel like I'm just and, and and again 30 I have 36 shots and i can't take loads i have to be very sort of selective of what i choose to photograph it makes me slow down because consi- it costs me money for nothing else it costs me money every time i pull the trigger right <laughs> yeah every time <so laughs> um, i you know <laughs> I happy every time you push it your- yeah exactly and i'm as tight as the next man when it comes to that so so i've got to really think about it and, uh, and not waste it you can tell when i've had a drink because <laughs> i'll get a roll back and i'm like why did i take so many photos of this one person, like this, is ridiculous. Um, so yeah, so for me as an exercise, again as an exercise, it's made me. it makes me understand exposure, you know. And I, you get to learn your film stock, and you get to learn more about light and and how you know you need a lot of light for, for stills photography. So, so what do you do? Uh, do you so go do you go into London for a day of street photography? How, how do you? Do you do? I don't find myself really going out on um, projects days. Mm-hmm. I actually just take it with me everywhere I go. Oh, love it. Right, okay. So I take and I and again I like do you know what, I like giving photography. I give mm. if you know me and I give you a um a, a, a Christmas present more than likely as long as I've seen you prior to that it will be a, a photograph framed for you to keep, printed out. Um you know, my friends who've had children and stuff like that, I I take photos of that and then give them to them. I love um Instax. I love the Polaroid. I waste so much money whenever I go to any sort of wedding or, you know, whatever it might be, someone's birthday party, because I just give them away. Yeah, just, I just... take photos of people and I give it to them. And I, and I know that they'll treasure it. And even more so than any other kind of film photography, there's instant photos. Not only is it a photograph of a moment in time, but that physical object is of that time. You know, when you open that shoebox later on in your life and you're looking back through these things, these objects, you know that that photograph was from your wedding day. Mm. It happened then. That chemical reaction happened in that moment. Yeah. And it's probably woo-woo, right? You know, and, and and just a load of old bollocks. But I get a kick out of it, you
0: know. And that's the thing. I mean, that, that's the beauty of mm. a creative um, endeavor like this. You know, is that yeah. whenever it means some different to to everyone you know and uh, to each person and so it's it's that's what makes it so beautiful you know
1: and i think you know because i do spend most of my time filmmaking in the space of advertising and things like that it it, it kind of i found a sort of sense of purpose actually yeah. in in that side of things there's no commercial element to it really i mean occasionally i take photos for people but it's not something i push or look to do it's for me it's i I feel like i'm contributing to the universe in a sort of longer term way Mm. um that uh yeah feeds the soul i think um so but i would recommend and it's you know what as much as anything this is how i always counter the argument that it's expensive is it's actually cheap to buy a camera that can take the quality of photograph that i take on a 35 millimeter camera will cost you a couple of thousand pounds probably um but you can buy a 19 like a, a Canon EOS 600 not D because that's digital 600 <laughs> for about 35 quid hmm. 35 quid because the thing is with with film photography which i'm sure most of your viewers already know but if you don't is the camera makes no difference whatsoever all that matters is the film stock and the lens you know the thing that holds those things together make zero difference at all So you can buy an old camera for next to nothing. And yes, it might be 20 quid for a really professional piece of roll of film Mm -hmm. and it'll cost you seven to 10 quid pounds to get it developed. Mm. But that's cheap. You've spent 30 quid and you've got professional film. You've got professional outcome and you've spent, yeah, okay, you've spent 500 quid because you've got to get the camera and a nice enough lens, but to get the same quality of photos. So I'm a, so the way I look at it is that I'm spending four grand on a camera, but I'm just spending it over a few years. yeah, Bit by bit by bit by bit. um, And getting a bit more out of it.
0: And of course, I mean, you, you could get into developing black and white film at home, for
1: example. Black and white. And yeah. I have a kit to do black yeah. and white. I do. um, Because that, that's, that's what I remember like, from when I was a kid, my dad's yeah. dad all the time. <laughs> um, in the bathroom, you know. For you. It's the scanning. Yes. Yeah. It, unless you, you know, unless you have a decent scanner... Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you can develop it, but then you've just got this roll of negative, and and you're yeah. either Lightroom and print it. But yeah. so, what I this is the thing I'm I'm hoping at some point to acquire a, a good quality scanner to take high resolution scans of my negatives, and then I will start developing myself. I think, look at it just a thing, yeah. yeah. But it's one of those you don't want to mess it up, <laughs> you don't want to ruin your fil- your first roll of film by like you yeah, know, you leaving should... it in there too yeah. long. And you or am not going to stop, and yeah, you and quite you quite probably will. So then, at what so, point do you go, I'm yeah. gonna. I'm gonna take a risk with this, and again, I can't remember what's on any of the films. Yeah. <laughs> so, which one am I gonna gamble with? I don't want yeah. to lose anything. So, it's just like anything, it's a money. Got to take the, the jump, haven't you? And this, um...
0: I remember a little while ago. I went to a camera club meeting, mm. and um, there was, you know, I can well, There was a competition or an exhibition. I can't remember, but this one particular shot which was amazing. It was um, it looked like it was it was shot through. It was a street scene with some houses and and uh, some characters and people, um, but it was shot through oh a window that had water running down. Right? So everything was out of focus. And mm. you know. and it looked amazing. And I remember looking at this thinking like, I wonder if this is actually shot like that or whether it's Photoshop, right? right. So it turns out, as I learned later, this was all shot on film. Um, and there were several exposures and they were meticulously put together in the dark room. And uh, oh, It wasn't a shot in-camera multi-exposure. No, no. It was layered in yeah, the, it was layered. the dark room. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, you know, and then it was re-photographed through, through uh, paint a glass with water and all that i mean it's the amount of effort and you know this it, it mean, compositing isn't it but yeah old but school it all that's started yeah exactly but it all started just with the street there were no people in; it was an empty street and then they, they literally composited those people into it then oh. rephotographed the whole thing through i mean it... wow. and so I, I said to i said to the guy i said well how long did it take to make this He i go about three weeks yeah oh. and i'm thinking like okay well photoshop ten minutes <laughs> Yeah. You know, but the world
1: needs the three weeks that. thing You're I right now. You're right. It's, you it's, know, I think, I yeah. think everything is so fast. And, and look, AI and everything like that. And I, I use AI and I think it's, it's a tool that if you don't learn to use, will learn to use you. But, um, but I do think for preserving, preserving your humanity, certain tasks which force you to slow down, Probably. like going for a walk in the park. Yeah something taking three weeks to there's do feels different. Exactly. There's something
0: really cathartic.
1: It's less churn and burn. Yeah, exactly. You mm-hmm. know? And uh, I mean, uh, you know, I love to do that in the digital world. You know, I, I love... Just and again, do I don't use... I wouldn't use 35 millimeter film professionally very much. I mean, occasionally, very, very, very sort of yeah. niche environment that I would do. But, you know, if you're making something... Professionally, you need it to be efficient, oh, and, <laughs> and and repeatable, and reliable, and
0: predictable. And there's still, apparently, so I'm told, there's still um, many advertising photographers out there who
1: still shoot on film. You know, and if, but if you shoot it in a studio mm. and you really know your film stock, then yeah, you know what you're going to get. Mm. And they'll be using other forms of monitoring so you they sure. can kind of see what they're going to get beforehand. So yeah, actually, there are. Um, but when you're when you're in more unpredictable environments, it, it becomes more risky. You know, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't shoot someone's wedding on 35 millimeter film because uh, I might get back to the thing and go, wow, this is underexposed or light leaks all over the place and then you just go, I'm so sorry. Can you get me- married again? Yeah,
0: I've just said this many, many, many times but ultimate nightmare is you know, shooting a a wedding on film because it's like, maybe, yeah. like, oh, did you get the first kiss? And you think,
1: uh, maybe <laughs> you'll have oh, to wait oh, to see, oh. it. <laughs> send it off to the lab. Hopefully, yeah. it doesn't get lost in the post. Exactly. But so there's so many pitfalls that you could, you know, we I mean, just yeah. imagine you screwed up. Oh, no, oh, man, you know, the you'd have, have to kiss. move the first dance, you have to change your name and leave the country yeah. when you're like, God, I mean, imagine. what a
0: responsibility. But yeah. then on the flip side, you know, I remember, and again, we're talking about this many times on the show, um, you know, I remember the days when. You know, back in the '80s, for instance, you know, wedding photographers—they would shoot three weddings a day: one in the morning, one midday, yeah. and then one in the one in the evening.
1: But but the style of photograph would be different. Oh, and they would only—you would... would use flash. You would yeah. you would make sure every. Whereas, photography these days, wedding photography specifically and video, is far more leaning towards the candid. I want you to disappear and get the, everything as it happens, which you can't do. But it's also you know back back in the day they need light. To an album with twenty-five images in it. Yeah, oh, of course. You, and, you know now nowadays. they want. 200, yeah, 100. 300, yeah,
0: was, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's it's, uh, it's crazy. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a completely different job now yeah, yeah, yeah. than it was. Absolutely. Now talking to a guy who um, used to say like, oh, you know, he used to shoot an event or something. And actually, he would basically set up a dark room in the back of the venue. No. And, at, like, yes, you know, he would shoot, the roll would go in the back, somebody would develop the negative right there. So he could give people prints there and there. They would or, basically... Or just they, so he could check the... They would deliver the out, because he would do three weddings a day. Wow. Like, you know, six days a week. And so, uh, basically, they would develop all that crap in the back, and then they would basically, roll out deliver the album the following day because otherwise, it'd be impossible to
1: keep up with all of that. Yeah, blime It is. I mean, it's a completely different, crazy way. Yeah. Of, of working. You know? Yeah, and 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 look, and I'm, and this is why I said it was a bit wanky because I do realise that there's going to be lots of people listening to this going, oh, shut up. <laughs> Just get a decent digital camera. You can make, you can put grain on it, and you can yeah. make it look the same, and yeah. like all that art oh, has a feel, and a sort of you know in your natural, organic nature to it is all hocus pocus. And and you're probably right. Yeah, you're probably right. So, and you know, although it's fun, I did a, I did a shot, I did a selfie shot
0: um, last night actually uh, for a thumbnail mm. uh, that I need to produce, and uh, it's all about glasses or whatever. And you know, for those who uh, haven't got this yet, I recently.
1: Become a member of the bespectacled. I don't even real. wear glasses. I'm just wearing them to make him feel better.
0: Well, I can't see the camera from here, but I can see you very clearly now. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Those reading glasses. there's reading glasses. Oh, I see. But um, but but I uh, I thought I I um, I commit that to eternity by by creating a bit of a headshot uh, with these glasses and. And so, as I'm editing it last night, I was thinking that'd be cool to give it like more of a classic filmic look, you know, and in come the light leaks and the like grain, and and I liked it. You know, it's cool, it's good fun, but it's different.
1: Of course, it's a bit of snap and crackle and pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's different from actually shooting a film. Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. I yeah, and 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 you could argue it's slightly less artistic because in digital you are doing it on you on your sort of from your own mind and you're creating stuff more deliberately. When I like to let the film. Make mistakes.
0: Yes, I mean it's always it's and almost
1: let it kind of do it, do it
0: for me. It's a way. matter of control. How much control? Do you yeah, do you know. And it is, I, I love that about things like Instax, for example. Yeah, you know, and uh, and stuff like that is is the fact that you have to let go. Yeah, that. and, 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 and
1: that's control. again why I use it as a sort of like release from yeah. my storyboarding every frame. Exactly,
0: and this actually is it's a beautiful. To... Sort of Story arc or, or or full circle that we've we've come from storyboarding and taking control of every single yeah. little detail of what you're going to shoot and controlling everything to this freedom that we have mm. with film where we have zero control whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, Toby, it's been absolutely amazing having you on the show. Thank it's you a so much. What a great conversation! I'm sure this is one of the last time we had a show. No, uh, we should definitely do this again. I'd
1: love to come back. Thank you so much. Fantastic.
0: Okay, folks, that's it for today. It was awesome having Toby live on the show. It's a guarantee for a great conversation. And as always, before we go, let me just recommend another episode that I think you like. Check out episode 86, where I take you through a number of awesome tips to elevate your photography in 2024. I'm sure you love it. If you enjoy our content, consider supporting us on buymeacoffee.com forward slash camera shake to help us continue creating and bringing you more exciting episodes. It really does mean the world to us. And for those of you who are listening to the audio version of this podcast, did you know that there's a fully-fledged video version over on YouTube with plenty of examples of our guest photography in full Technicolor? All you have to do is go over to YouTube, search for CamerShake Podcast, and you'll be able to watch all past episodes on there. And if you're already on YouTube, well, then just drop us a comment, hit the like button, ring that bell, and share with your friends. Your engagement helps us reach a wider audience all over the world. Thank you for listening and watching, and remember... A new episode drops every Thursday, so mark that in your calendars. Until next time, keep shaking things up in the world of photography. See you next Thursday.